Let's all worship God and praise him together at this time. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We glorify your wonderful name. We thank you for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you for the presence of God. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. Open our hearts and our minds as we look into the word of God at this time. Bless all of our classes that are in session at this time. In thy precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Shake hands with somebody near you. and You may be seated. God bless you. Praise God. Today we are looking into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're drawing close to the end of this chapter, this book in the Bible. One of the most interesting epistles or letters written to the churches. It was the one Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. So much information is in this book because it is a book on practicalities of Christianity. In other words, how to live for God, how to serve him, how to worship, and so forth. Some of the other epistles, they deal a lot with uh, the, the rights that Gentiles have to be saved. And Paul had to defend that right in more than one occasion and usually touched on it in all of his epistles. But uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he deals more with the issues of Christian living, how to walk with God, how to serve the Lord, how to have church services, and all of those things that we have been looking at today. We're going to look at the subject of the resurrection. The 15th chapter is the chapter on the resurrection. The entire chapter is given to this particular subject about Jesus Christ's resurrection. I might say before I get started here that the resurrection is the center of Christianity. It is the center. It is the most important thing that we can understand about Jesus is his death, burial, and his resurrection. Praise the Lord. And Paul goes into a lot of in-depth things here, and we're going to be looking at them as we study the word of God. Uh, This lesson today and next week, we'll deal with the resurrection. I've got some very interesting things also to bring up to you next week in our study here on the subject of the resurrection. And, And there's much to understand and know about it, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. Praise God. So uh, we're going to get started here in the scriptures. I'd like you to turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, uh, write at the head of the 15th chapter, the resurrection chapter. And this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is called the resurrection chapter. At least I have written that in my Bible. And uh, verses 1 down 3 is where I really want to start, but I'll read 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved. And we're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, you know, that uh, how can this gospel go forth unless there be a preacher to preach it? So it talks about how important it is for the ministry, how important it is to believe, and so forth. I will go then to verse 2, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, verse 3 is where we want to get into the subject here of the resurrection. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now look at the phrase, according to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. He makes that statement. 
and according to the scriptures. If you want to write in your Bibles there, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 there, if you want to write Isaiah 53 and also Psalms 22, no particular verses, the entire chapter of, of Isaiah 53 and Psalms 22, the entire chapter is given to the subject of the crucifixion. Uh, the, the one in Psalms was written by David, and it is as though you are on the cross yourself, feeling the pain and the agony and the humiliation and the suffering of Calvary. It starts out by saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? First verse. Why? That's the same word Jesus said on the cross when he was on the cross just before he died. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, they did not understand what he was saying because he spoke pure Hebrew on the cross when he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is what he has said on the cross, which is Hebrew. For my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Because in the New Testament, they spoke Aramaic, which was a mixture of Chaldean and Hebrew and a little Greek and so forth, sort of a conglomeration. So Jesus spoke pure Hebrew, and he is actually quoting these scriptures from Psalms 22. Now, I don't think Jesus was just saying on the cross, quoting verses. But anyhow, he was fulfilling the fact that he was fulfilling uh, Psalms 22. When you read this verse, it goes on to talk about Jesus being on the cross, suffering how they parted his garments among them, how they cast lots for his garments. They pierced my hands and my feet. Everything was what they did to me, to me, to me. They looked upon me, they gnashed upon me with their teeth, so forth. All of these things, and these are brought out in the New Testament at his crucifixion in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John to verify that all these things were done as well when he was actually crucified. Now, in Isaiah 53, it is speaking as though you were standing on the ground looking at him at the cross. It speaks of him in the third person. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. David wrote the one in Psalms because David was the forefather of Jesus Christ through Mary, through Mary and Joseph. Actually, Joseph and Mary were direct descendants of Solomon on two different strands of of his uh, of his lineage, and uh, so they were both. And the, and the genealogy of Jesus is given in both the Matthew and also in Luke. And Luke gives the genealogy through Mary. Matthew gives it through Joseph because they're always counted as coming through the man, even though J Joseph was not his actually earthly father. But yet he was the one of the whom they said he was Jesus, you know, the son of Joseph, so forth. But he was son of Mary directly. Now, I won't get into all the details on that. It's a very interesting study about that lineage and so forth, because there was 62 generations from Adam right down to Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew covers the ones from Abraham, from Abraham. It leaves off the first 20 generations from Abraham. It's 42 generations down to Jesus. And then uh, in Luke, he, he covers the entire 62. Now, that's immaterial at this point. I'm just pointing out here to you that if you ever want to study, because the Bible here says in this third verse, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, there are many other scriptures as well, but these two scriptures here emphasizes, the entire chapter emphasizes the crucifixion of Christ. So if you've got your Bibles in there, just put yourself a note there. See Isaiah 53 and, and Psalms 22, and it's amazing how exact that they described 
the crucifixion of Jesus and that the death of Jesus Christ was prophesied and spoken of in the scriptures. <clears throat> Not only in uh, these two chapters in the Old Testament, but Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, speaks of the Messiah that he, that he is cut off. The word cut off means he was killed. So, and that's also brought out in Isaiah 53. It refers to him as being cut off. And so I'm going to move on here because he talks about his death here. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. And these chapters bring out it's for our sins that he died, especially Isaiah 53. It wasn't for himself. It was for our sins that he died. Now, he goes on to say here in uh, verse 4, look at this one. And that he died for our sins in verse 3, in verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And then he repeats that same phrase, according to the scriptures. So again, his resurrection was also prophesied in the Old Testament, that his, he would rise from the dead. Let me give you a couple of verses on that. You know, and there are other verses, but I'm just going to give you a couple here that you can sort of hang on to and you can mark in your scriptures there if you'd like to. Uh, if, look in Psalm 1610 with us, Psalm 1610. And uh, this is one verse. And this one is quoted, I think, more than one time in the New Testament in reference to the resurrection of Christ. And uh, 1610 says, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Hell it comes from the, the Hebrew word here, shoal, uh, which means the place of the dead, place of the dead. Sometimes it refers to grave. Sometimes the word hell is used. Sometimes the word grave, grave is it's interchangeable. And so it says, for thou wilt not leave my soul in the grave in this case, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption, which of course is the grave. So this means that this, there would be a resurrection of the Holy One. The Holy One being capital letters referring to Jesus who was yet to come. Praise the Lord. And also in, I, in Psalms 20, I mentioned Psalm 22 to you. Uh, in, in Psalms uh, 33, 30 verse 3. Psalms 30. Uh, we're talking about the resurrection here now. 30 and verse 3. This is another verse about the resurrection of Christ according to the scriptures. And there are others, many others too, but I'm just referring to these two because they're close here, right here, close together in Psalms. O Lord, this is 30 and verse 3. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Again here, speaking here of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these were Psalms uh, all written by David, both uh, all of them that we read to you. Now, I'm pointing out that to you because whenever Paul says the death of Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, and he was the Messiah. See, the Jews did not want to believe that their Messiah would die. And yet it was in the scriptures. It's at least three places in the Bible where it said the Messiah would die or be cut off or would be killed. And, and they didn't want to, they, they, that's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear about a Messiah who would come into their midst, strap on a sword, and say, let's throw, throw off the Roman Empire and let's make Israel a great nation on the face of the earth. That's what they wanted. They wanted the millennium or the thousand years of peace. They wanted it to come at that time. When Jesus came, he came as the Christ who came to save the whole world. And so Jesus came to, you know, and, and of course it was prophesied 
that he would die and so forth, be rejected of men and all and those things. So whenever Jesus came, he was crucified, and then he rose the twelfth day, the, the twelfth day, the third day. And uh, I'm looking at a number twelve here. Excuse me, verse four. I'm ahead of myself. And uh, and then verse four said, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now look at verse five. Everybody with me? And that he was seen. This is witnesses now to his resurrection. What Paul brings out here is not only did he rise from the dead, he didn't just rise from the dead and take and go off and somebody said, yeah, the grave is empty. I don't know what happened. You know, he must have rose from the dead. It wasn't that. But there were witnesses to his, his resurrection. This is important, that he died, he rose again, and, he was, and there was witnesses. And here's what it says in verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas. Cephas is Peter. This is the Greek word for the word Peter. Uh, <clears throat> And then of the 12, the 12 is the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles. I want to talk to you about that in just a moment. And he was seen of Cephas, Peter, the first, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present but some are fallen asleep. In other words, some are still living. Some have already passed on. And so that's what he was saying here. In other words, these witnesses are still around. They saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. So what we're saying here, what Paul is writing about, and he's writing to these Corinthian people, this is not just a fantasy. This is not just a wishful thinking. There are witnesses. There are people that saw it. There are people that still living that saw it. And so he was bringing out this and witnessing to that factor. Now, notice here in verse 7, after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me. Now, look at that. Seen of all the apostles. Wait a minute, Brother Myers. I thought you said there were the 12 apostles. There were 12, and then there were all of the apostles. Now, let me show you a couple of verses of Scripture here. Uh, Look over in... uh, Let's see here. Uh, look in Luke 9, 1. Look in Luke 9, 1. The word apostle means one who is sent. This is the emphasis I'm putting on it. The word apostle means one who is sent. Then he called his 12 disciples unto him together. 12 disciples. And gave them power and authority over all devils to cure disease. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And they went out and they did that. And they came back and said, man, the devils are even subject to us in thy name, you know, and so forth. But this is what Jesus did. He sent, when his earthly ministry, he sent the 12 disciples who had become apostles when he sent them. Of course, the word means one who is sent. So Jesus sent them. And at that point, they were also apostles. So now, look over in chapter 10, verse 1. You're in chapter 9 of Luke. We're in Luke now. Look in chapter 10, very next chapter in Luke 10, 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them. And the word again sent them, it means they were apostles. Two and two before his face 
into every city and place whether he himself would come. So he sent then also the 70. There is a distinction, though, between the 12 and anyone else that might be an apostle. Now, Jesus had 70 more that he sent beside the 12. There was also times later on in the early church that the church would send men into the, into the Gentile world to preach the gospel. Uh, Barnabas, for instance, went with Paul, and he was referred to as an apostle because he was sent by that church in, in, uh, in, in where, they, where they, were li- they were staying there, but in the northern part of Israel. So they were sent out into the Gentile world and went out and preached the gospel. Uh, I'm only pointing all this out to you here, is that there are apostles who are uh, men who were sent. I think in some respect, many of our missionaries can be labeled as apostles in the sense that they are sent by the United Pentecost Church into the world to preach the gospel. However, the 12 is a very distinct difference. If you have your Bibles, turn over with me to the Revelations uh, chapter uh, 21. 21 and 14. 21, 14. This is the last book in the book of Revelation, and 21, 14. And this is describing the holy city as it came down out of heaven at the end of time, whenever the Lord was wrapping everything up and everything was over with. And it says the holy city came down and it's describing. If you ever feel discouraged sometimes, folks, go to Revelations 21 and just read it about the new, the new city the heavenly city. And just remember that that's where you and I are going to spend eternity with the Lord. Praise God. And don't let the devil ever take that out of your heart. I mean that. And this is what it says in verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So what I am pointing out to you here is that there were 12 apostles. Now Judas was one of them and he lost his apostleship when he betrayed Christ. You well know that. And Paul was chosen by the Lord to take his place, and he was the other 12. And Paul later would say, I am an apostle as well as, you know, as the others also. And we'll look at that in the scriptures as we go back to 1 Corinthians. So if you go back to 1 Corinthians, and uh, this is where Paul validates his apostleship. And this is where it says here in verse 8. I'm going to read 7 again to you. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. This is that 70, and perhaps even others that went that were sent as well. Uh, and then verse 8, and last of all, he's talking about who all has seen Jesus since the resurrection and uh, rose from the dead, and so there's plenty of witnesses around. And last of all, he was seen of me. In other words, I saw the Lord too, so I can tell you, yeah, he's alive and well because he's not in the grave. He rose. I saw him. And last of all, he was seen of me also, excuse me, (coughs) as one born out of due season. As one born out of due season. That has reference to a a large family. A mother can have children, 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 children. And then maybe maybe in her later years, when then I don't know, I'm not going to give ages or anything, but 40s or 50s or whatever, she has another child. Uh, my grandmother on my mother's side had a, had a late child and he, that's called one born out of due season. And, uh, that late child was my uncle, but he was only four months older than me, you know? 
So we grew up like cousins, you know. We were so close, all of us, and I had other cousins. Hey, folks, people used to have big families. They used to have big families. I grew up in Pensacola. I had my, my father's sister who lived on one side of the road. My mother's sister lived on the other side of the road. One had nine children. One had 11 children. That was 20 cousins I had lived right across the street from each other, right around the corner from me. You know, there's only four of us in our family, so we were really like a, you know, just, I don't know what you call it, just a little family, you know. And then on that same street, there was also other families that had big families. And it was a clay road. And on any Saturday morning, they were either out there playing marbles in the middle of the road, drawing circles and shooting marbles. All these kids, you know, and everything shooting. A car came down that street. They had to stop and let all the kids clear out of the road. If it was marble season, we shot marbles. I'd always go around there and play with all of them. If it was yo-yo season, we did the yo-yo thing. If it was spinning tops, throwing them down, spin them with spinning tops. But we had something going all the time, like that on the, on Avery Street there. It, cars got where they wouldn't even come down the road because it's like too many kids on that road and everything. These, and these were all my cousins. And you never mess with this crowd, you know. I mean, if you was an outsider, you didn't, you didn't pick on nobody, you know. Everything. And I mean, we, 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 and in the afternoon, sometime on a Saturday afternoon, we'd walk over to a movie and see a movie. Nine cents, you could see a movie. You could see two movies and a, and a serial or something that went on from week, from time to time, every week. And then, and then, uh, they'd have the news. The news was what was happening in the war, World War II, you know, going on. I'm just trying to say here that these were big families, and that's the way, you know, I sort of grew up that way. And so, here is a, a case here where he's talking about uh, where, where, where uh, Paul is talking about here that these apostles, and last of all, you've seen of me who was one born out of due season. So you understand the one born out of due season. Let me get into this thought here a little bit about uh, him being an apostle. Uh, Paul was the 12th apostle, praise the Lord, born out, born out of due season. He saw the Lord and... Uh, I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in Romans eleven thirteen. Eleven thirteen. This is where he validates him being a, an, an apostle. Eleven thirteen. And uh, he says, "For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles." Paul's particular apostleship was to the Gentiles. And then over in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, not the 15th chapter, I'm sorry, of Romans, I think I'm saying here. Romans 15, 16. Romans 15, 16. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So he was saying here, I am the minister to the Gentiles. And he goes on to speak of these things. Also in 2 Timothy 1.11, he speaks of this. Just one more verse here. I'm just trying to show you here how that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 23, and the very God of peace, wrong verse, wrong verse, sorry. I have got so many verses here. Hang on a minute. Second Timothy one eleven. 
Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Let me just say one word here before I go any further here. Peter was not the first pope. I can show you another scripture. We won't go there. I won't read more about it. But Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And and Paul brings that out. He said, just as Peter was the apostle to the Jews, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. Rome was the capital city of the Roman Empire, which was a Gentile empire. And it was the capital city. And whenever the church was established in Rome, it was established as a Gentile church. And the Catholic church somehow or another has wiggled around that Peter went over there and pastored that church for a long time. And, you know, and finally, I guess, died in Rome and, uh, and was crucified upside down. And, uh, and, and then, uh, then somebody else took his place. I think Peter was crucified. It's possible he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worried to be crucified like my Lord was. So they crucified him upside down. That could have happened. I think it's more tradition than it is fact. But nevertheless, uh, that was done in Rome. So, so that history goes. We know that Paul was crucified. I mean, was killed uh, in Rome and, and so forth. He, he was martyred there. But Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles. I don't believe at all that Peter ever was the pastor of the church of Rome who's completely out of context with the scriptures. So I'll just throw that in for what it's worth. That's for free. <laughs> for whatever it's worth, I'm saying that because I know the Catholic Church says that they were the, he was the first pope and everything. And if he's the first pope, then they go back to that scripture where it says that thou art Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church in the gates of the ocean. And they, they tie that in with Peter and so forth. Let me stay with my subject here. God bless you. <laughs> Everybody say praise the Lord. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Let's get back to 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to look with me here in the, uh, <clears throat> in the 12th verse. Paul said he was the least of the all apostles, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, look at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached, that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Yea, 15, yea, and we are false, we have been found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, verse 17, your faith is in vain, is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And I'm pointing all this out to show you here that if we do not believe in the resurrection, everything falls apart because our whole faith is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you know that I do not speak derogatory about any faith, religion, or anybody in that respect from the pulpit here. But I do have to tell you this. And if this, if don't be sensitive about it if you've got family members or if you've been in this faith yourself before. But in the Jehovah Witness faith, and this is, needs to be known by all of us, in the Jehovah Witness faith, 
They call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses because they are not Jesus's witnesses. They're not Jesus' witnesses. I was in, uh, and I know that. I was in uh, Washington, D.C. here a few years ago, a few years back. And, uh, and it was on a Sunday, I think it was. And we were there at the White House, and they got the gate, you know, and everything. And there's all kinds of people gathering around looking through the gate and looking at the White House and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and there was a guy out there passing out tracks. And he said to me, I'm a Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, nice to meet you. I'm a Jesus Witness. <laughs> That's what I told him. I'm a Jesus. You witness Jehovah, I witness Jesus. You know, I'm a Jesus Witness and everything. And the Jehovah Witnesses literally listen very closely to what I say, and what I'm going to tell you is very true. And anyone will tell you, because I have debated with them, I've discussed, I have long hours of discussions with these, some of the top leaders of it. And uh, this is what they will say. They will say that Jesus was actually Michael the Archangel. Now, how many of you here that know anything about him know that? Anybody here that knows that? Okay, he knows it. There's two or three hands over here. They say that uh, Jesus was Michael the Archangel. They do not believe he was God. They believe he was Michael the Archangel. And uh, that uh, they're not going to be Michael the Archangel witness. They're going to be witness about Jehovah, which is the almighty God. And so uh, they, they do not lift up Jesus. They do not witness Jesus. They do not speak about Jesus. And they do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They don't believe in the resurrection. How many of you know that? Okay, numbers of hands, yeah. That they do not believe Jesus ever rose from the dead. Now, at Easter time, when Easter is celebrated, the Jehovah Witnesses always puts the emphasis on the death of Christ. They do believe he died, that he shed his blood, that his blood was shed and he died on the cross. And they put emphasis on, the, on Calvary and the blood being shed for our sins and so forth. But they do not believe in the resurrection. And I... <laughs> I asked a guy one time, I said, you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? No. I said, they found the tomb empty. It's in the scriptures. It's all in the Bible. They found the tomb empty. Matthew records it. Mark records it. Luke talks about it. John bears witness of it. They found the tomb empty. The angel standing there, he's not here for his risen. They said, I said, what happened to it? They said, we don't know. That was his answer. We don't know. Nobody knows. It just, just, he disappeared. We don't know what happened to his body. I said, da-da, I know. I know. I'm going to show you the Bible what happened to him. He was witness, and they, they bore witness of it. I don't know how they get around all that. I mean, you can, there's only so much of the scriptures you can say that was not in the original manuscripts. You know, that's what they say about the King James Version. It's not in the major original manuscripts, which is absolutely not true that they say that. But I am just pointing out to you here, when Easter comes, you'll find that the emphasis that the Jehovah Witness always put on, on Easter time is not the resurrection, but it's on the crucifixion only. So anyhow, and it's strange that he says here that there, there how say some of you among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And so they go on and on and on. And he went on to say that there is a resurrection of the dead. And he goes on and talks about all this, that Jesus Christ is, resur- is resurrected. So you and I, praise the Lord, can be assured that there is the resurrection of the dead. And uh, verse 20 says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Praise the Lord. Now, 
Let me uh, talk to you for a few moments here about uh, what dies when we die. I'm going to give a lesson here next week that's going to deal more in detail with this. But you and I are made up of body, soul, and spirit. If you've got your Bibles, turn with us to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We're talking about the resurrection. This is sort of a, a, a layout to it. We're coming up on it. If you look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter, there's 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. And, uh, and it is chapter 1. It is chapter uh, 5 the last chapter in 1 Thessalonians and verse 23 that I'm going to read to you. Thessalonians is from the city of Thessalonica, as it's called today, Thessalonica. What it was called back then, Thessalonica. Back today it's called Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki. It's a Greek city. Second largest city in Greece still is a major city. I've been there and they've got it excavated. Downtown city, they got part of it excavated. And you go down steps about about that light up there down to the floor level. And that's the old ancient city. You walk around down in there. And uh, I remember walking around and looking at it. And I read about where Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And I also knew in reading about what happened with Demas, that he went to Thessalonica then, Thessaloniki today. He went to Thessalonica and got into politics, gave up Christ, gave up the church, walked away, and got into that worldly spirit. And here I am looking at what's left of that old world. And I was walking around and looking at all the, you know, the, the old foundations of buildings and houses and shops and stores and the street and all that stuff. And I said, Demas, you gave up eternity for this? And I just said, I said it out loud. My son was over on the other side walking around another area. And I was over here on this side. And I'd walk around and it hit me. And I said, Demas, you gave up eternal life for this? That's what this becomes. Let me just say this, folks. You say, oh, we've got a great world around us. It's a beautiful world, everything. That will become that. This will become that. In time, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And I'm just saying here today, don't give up eternity in heaven. It's not far away. Jesus is coming soon. Don't give up what God has promised you as a child of God for a something that will become like Thessalonica. Now it's Thessaloniki. You, we climbed back out of the hole, and we're in modern-day Thessaloniki. So-called Thessaloniki, as it's called today. We're in the modern world then, and it's just, it's, like I say, it's the second largest city in Greece next to Athens and everything. But what I am pointing out to you here is that it, there's nothing in this life that's worth give us giving up. So we're in First Thessalonica, Thessalonians, I'm sorry. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I just threw that in just for whatever it was worth. Look at verse 23, and every and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. When we die, our soul, our body dies, but the soul and the spirit does not die. The soul and the spirit never dies. The soul is the person you are. 
That's the individual you are. You are a soul. Our spirit is the life in us. Anything that is spirited is lively. They talk about a racehorse. They said, oh, he's very spirited. That means he's very lively. He's got a lot of life in him. So spirit is life. And so our spirit is our life in us, given to us by God. But the soul is the individual that I am, the soul that you are, the individual you are. We are all individuals made individually that God has given with a free, with our own individual will. We have our own will. God has given us that, a free will to make our decisions and so forth. God made mankind in that fashion. And so we have a body, and the body is what dies. So in the resurrection, the body is what rises, what comes back again. Now, the spirit of the soul never die. I want you to turn with me for a moment over here to Ecclesiastes. Let me show you something. Give you a couple of verses. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'll find it in a minute. My pages stick together. All right, here we go. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. This is talking about death. And it goes on, if I were to take time to read all this 12th chapter here. And the end of verse 5 says... Because man goeth to his long home, speaking about his death and so forth. Verse 7, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. Then shall the dust return to the earth, speaking of the body of man. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Spirit unto God who gave it. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 21, it repeats the same thing, only it adds that uh, the spirit of an animal goes into the ground, but the spirit of man goes back up to God who gave it. So God's spirit, I'm going to be giving you a chart, showing you some things on this next week that you'll be able, be able to tie some things together. And so he talks about it also about the soul. Let me give you a verse of scripture about the soul. Uh, this is... Uh, this is found over in 1 Kings... And uh, verse chapter 17, 1 Kings 17, 21, this was whenever Elijah was staying with the widow woman, Shudamite widow woman. She had a son, and the Lord told him to go there and that, that the, the, the crews of water would not run out and the, the meal in the barrel would not run low and everything like that. I won't give you all the details on that, but in the course of all that, the boy died. And the woman was brokenhearted, and she says, the prophet of God comes my way, and I feed him, and I take care of him, and everything like the Lord spoke to me to do. And my son dies, you know, and what, you know she, she couldn't figure it all out. So then it says that he went up with a boy, took him up in a loft, and then it says in verse 21, and he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord. This is Elijah now. And cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. So what I'm showing you here, that the soul was not dead. So the soul was out, but came back. Soul and spirit, two verses here. Talks about one about soul, one spirit. So when it talks about it in First Thessalonians, we're made of body, soul, and spirit. 
It's the body that dies. It's the body that's in the resurrection. I won't get more into detail on this. I'll talk to you more about it next week. But I just want you to understand here that Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, it was the body that rose from the dead whenever he died. So it's the body that dies. It's the body that is in the resurrection, praise the Lord. Now, I'm going back to for, for 1 Corinthians, and I've got just about 10 minutes here. I'm going to finish wrap this up. Uh, i got about five minutes. I'm sorry. Look at uh, 20, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, that was Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Now, to, before I get into this, let me just say this, that Jesus Christ, uh, whenever he rose from the dead, he became the firstfruits. The word firstfruits has to do with the feast days. If you'll notice in the scriptures, Jesus died on the eve of the Passover. The Passover was the lamb slain that Israel may be delivered from Egypt. And that was a, Jesus Christ was slain as the Passover lamb. That's why John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of that. And so Jesus Christ was the lamb slain at Calvary for the sins of the world that we might be delivered from sin, delivered from the world. You get the picture there. It's a fulfillment of the spiritual side of things. And uh, so Jesus Christ was full, fulfilled those whenever he died, whenever he died on Calvary. Uh, and then his resurrection, praise the Lord, came afterwards. And it was in the resurrection that he fulfills the other Passover feast days. And not Passover, but the other feast days. Fifty days after uh, Calvary, after the Passover, I should say, was the, was the Feast of First Fruits. It's also called the Feast of Pentecost. Fifty days, the word 50 means pente, pente from in the Hebrew. It means 50 days after the Passover. So 50 days after Jesus was crucified, the Holy Ghost fell. Praise the Lord. And they poured out his spirit. So the first fruits means the beginning. And then the big harvest was always in the fall, the latter of September, first of October. Whenever they would bring in all the grain and all the, everything, the big harvest came in then. So what the Lord is trying to say here, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And then the rest of it will come after you've gone through summer and into the first part of fall, and then there will be the harvest. And that's what you and I are a part of. So one day, just as Jesus rose from the dead and had a glorified body, and we do not yet know how we shall appear, but we'll be like him, but we shall see him as he is. And then the Bible says in another place, we will have a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. A glorified body was the kind of body that Jesus had when Paul saw him on the way to Damascus. And he shined brighter than the noonday sun to Paul. And then also John saw him on the Isle of Patmos when he received the book of Revelation. And he fell at his feet as a dead man. He was so powerful in his glory. This is the kind of body we'll have. Now, God has great things prepared for his people. And you and I, praise the Lord, we want to hold to what God has given us and what God has laid upon us that we might keep. And the Lord has told us here in the scriptures here, 
And I'm going to read this verse again to you. How that uh, it says, And every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So you and I are going to rise from the dead, praise the Lord, if we have died, and that we who are alive and remain, and that gets into the, to the scriptures about the rapture of the church. And I won't get into that down. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. And also in Revelation, and in 1 Corinthians 15 here, and over, further over here, the latter part of this 15th chapter talks about the rapture and the Lord coming back and how that the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain should be caught up. And I'm just telling you, and folks, it's not long. Some of us may not make it to the rapture. And if that's true, that's okay. We'll be the first fruit. We'll be the first. The, the dead in Christ will rise first. But let me just say this, that the rapture is not far away. It's not far away. It's very close. And the Bible said after two days, two days will all this happen. Will he revive Israel? And whenever Israel is going to be revived, and it's nearly that time now. Two days, 2,000, a day with the Lord is 1,000 years, 1,000 years, two days. Israel was scattered, as you well know, was scattered throughout the world. Calvary happened in 30 A.D., and Israel was scattered in 70 A.D. After two days, he will revive his people. And it says that after two days. So we know that the coming of the Lord is coming near. And if you want to be saved, walk with God. There's no better time than to know the Lord today. And Luke says, when you see all these things beginning to come to pass, then look up for our redemption draweth nigh, our draweth near. And I've got some great things to give you next week in our Bible lesson. And we're going to finish up this 15th chapter. And I've got a chart I'm going to show you and so forth. And you'll be very interested in what we'll show you. Let's stand together and let's praise him and let's glorify him. Let's thank him.